Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflish teaching on Song of Songs. God evening, beloved of the Lord. We've come a long way. We've grown spiritually from the timid, scared shepherd girl who fell in love with Jesus. He came to us as the good shepherd, the joyful gazelle, the glorious king, the wonderful gardener, and the man of sorrows. And he will repeat this all through our walk with him. He will come in one of these. He lovingly watch over you until you obey him in everything, just because you love him so much. He's transforming you from an outcast to a dancing warrior bride. He's bestowing his anointing and authority on you because he loves you and he trusts himself in you. Now you are ready to hear what his calling is upon your life. So let's begin with the text of chapter 8. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I should find you outside... I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. A most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Balhaman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand and those who keep its fruit, two hundred. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Chapter 8. The Calling of the Bride He comes with his bride as a seal on his heart and on his arm. The bride wants to display her love in a lavish, extravagant manner. 
She knows that she must be sensitive for the sake of the young believers. And she wishes he was her brother. It would make it so much easier. And we, who read this book from a New Testament perspective, are able to say, Oh, but he is. He is my brother. See Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware and loved beforehand, he also destined from the beginning, foreordaining them to be molded into the image of his Son, and to share inwardly his likeness, that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. Beloved, this is what Jesus did on the cross. He died for every soul ever born. And his longing is this. He knew you. He foreknew you. He was aware of you and he loved you beforehand. He destined from the beginning. He foreordained you to be molded into the image of his son and to share inwardly his likeness. This is why you're going through all that you are going. This is why your journey with Jesus isn't always easy because he's changing you into his likeness. And then he becomes the firstborn among many brethren and sisters. In verse 1 she says, Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you and I would not be despised. See how easily she speaks about kissing him now. Compare that with chapter 1 where he had to teach her to kiss him. Now she says, Anyway, I find you, I'll kiss you. But I will still be despised and I'm still a bit scared of that. And then, verse 2, I will lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. That was the church. And then I would cause you to drink of spiced wine and of the juice of my pomegranate. She's speaking of the Eastern culture where a brother is not even allowed to enter his sister's room. Public displays of emotion are also considered inappropriate. Compare this with Mary Magdalene in Mark 14, verse 3 to 9. And while he was in Bethany, a guest in the house of Simon the Leaper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of ointment, of pure nard, very costly and precious. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. But there were some who were moved with indignation and said to themselves, To what purpose was the ointment perfume thus wasted? For it was possible to have sold this for more than 300 denarii, that is a laboring man's wages for a year, and to have given the money to the poor. And they censured and reproved her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has done a good and beautiful thing to me, praiseworthy and noble. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She came beforehand to anoint my body for the burial. And surely I tell you, Wherever the good news and the gospel is proclaimed in the entire world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
Beloved, he wants to say the same of you. He wants to testify she or he has done what he could, what she could. And afterwards, in the age to come, this will be proclaimed, all the things you did for Jesus. But she knew she would be criticized. But she didn't care. And that's her example that we have to follow. Also, let's look at Matthew 12, 47 to 49. Someone said to him, Listen, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards not only the twelve disciples, but to all in the room, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So that's why we know he is our brother. What Mary did, we could compare with 2 Corinthians 5 verse 13, where Paul says, There are times where we are beside ourselves, mad as some might say. But it is for God and it concerns him. And there are times where we are in our right mind. And it is for your benefit. When we are teaching and studying the word, we are in our right minds, like right now. And it's for our own benefit, because we want to grow in the word. But there are times that we behave like Mary. We get beside ourselves, mad, as the onlookers of the world might say. And they don't understand. And even sometimes Christians will criticize and judge you. Don't care. If you know it's for God and it concerns Him, you carry on. Jesus will be your defender as He was for Mary. Once they, the daughters and the watchmen of the city, understand that Jesus is really her brother, her lover, her beloved, and her friend, and her king, they will understand her better. But until they reach that point in their journey, they will not understand. This whole section is actually a prayer. The bride still asks for help. She wants help for three things. She still have a fear of rejection. That never leaves us, brother, sister. But we have to overcome it on the grounds of our boldness in Christ. The Lord said, in the last days, many will turn away when the rejection and the judgment and separation starts. Number two, she wants to keep walking in love and become sensitive to the emotions and the inability of others to understand. That's a tough one. When you cross roads with those who do not understand, who's not answering you in love, we've got to keep walking in love and we need Holy Spirit to make us sensitive to the emotions and the inability of others to understand. If this is the last days, and I believe it is, we are the only ones they have to look at, to listen to. Like Paul said, you're the only letter they can read. And even though the bride is mature, we still struggle with these things. Sensitivity, for others' emotions and their inability to understand. And what do we do? We judge them. 
And that's why she asks for help. And tonight we ask with her, Lord, help us. Keep us sensitive to those that is hard to love because they don't understand. And therefore, number three, she desires wisdom. In the beginning, we all cried out for wisdom and understanding concerning the word. But now, in these days, we also cry out for wisdom in our conduct. Let's look at Matthew 10, verse 16. Jesus said to them, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wary and wise as serpents, and be innocent, harmless, and without falsity as the doves. This is where we are. This is where she is. We are being sent out. We know that. But we have to go as sheep belonging to the good shepherd. But in the world is the wolves. And the they that will judge us and be insensitive will wound us. So we need to learn to be weary and wise as the serpent. And that we need to pray for the Lord. And at the same time, in other moments, we have to live out being innocent, harmless, and without falsity as doves. James 3, 17. So this wisdom she's crying for, James gives us the answer in James 3, 17. We want the wisdom from above. For the wisdom from above is first of all pure, undefiled, peace-loving, Cautious, considerate, gentle, willing to yield to reason, full of compassion and good fruits, wholehearted and straightforward. It is impartial and unfeigned. It's free from doubts, wavering and insincerity. Oh, how the world needs this today. When you look at all the so-called wise people of the world, it's like, where has wisdom gone? Wisdom is only found with the Lord. And wisdom from the Lord does not look like the wisdom of the world. For the wisdom of the world is puffed up knowledge. That's all, without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not pure. It is defiled. Wisdom in this world now is very seldom peace-loving. It's false in working for peace. It's not considerate. When we look at our circumstances right now with the lockdown and the extra laws, there's no consideration. There's no willing to yield to reason. There's no compassion or good fruits. But the wisdom of the bride, of the child of God who loves Jesus, is wholehearted and straightforward, not complicated. It's impartial and unfeigned. This unfeigned, oh, there's so much feigned wisdom these days. And there's no doubts, waverings, or insincerity in godly wisdom. Let us cry out tonight with a bride, Lord, give us this wisdom from above. And then the bride wants to bring Jesus to her home, the church. There where she was born again, because all of us were led to Christ by a member of the body, the church. She wants to share what she has learned from him with her brothers and sisters, even at the risk of being misunderstood. This is why she's praying for grace and wisdom.
Since we've been in lockdown for more than 40 days, your home has become your church building. And even in your home, your home church building, you could be misunderstood by members of your family. Cry out for this wisdom. The desire of your heart is to introduce them to this glorious King Jesus. Therefore, this is a very powerful part in Song of Songs, to learn how to act when we are misunderstood, to keep on praying for grace and for wisdom. And then the bride wants to serve him only her best wine. And the wine is flavoured with spices with a strong aroma. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the good news of Christ, for it's God's power working unto salvation, for deliverance from eternal death, to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you see this balance she has to keep? Only Holy Spirit can help us with this. On the one hand, we want to say, yes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation, for deliverance from eternal death. We are so concerned for people who still do not want to choose. And we know there's power in the gospel of Jesus, but it seems like they do not have ears to hear. She feels the same. She invites him to be the guest of honor in her home. That's not so easy. If there's members in your home who does not feel the same way as you, well, then make him the guest in your own room. Get yourself a special, separate place where you go for intimacy with Jesus. And do not care what they think. You are considering them by not overpowering them all with your intimacy, you go somewhere separate. And then you can pray for them, knowing if they receive and accept him, then at last they will also receive and accept you. It could happen, and maybe not. Maybe it'll only happen after you're gone that they say, she was right. He spoke the truth. I now receive it. But then we will be with Jesus. Don't stop witnessing, loving, caring. And then she wants to serve him juice of her pomegranates. Remember, the pomegranate is the symbol of your emotions. In the beginning it was green, but it always had the little crown growing into its crown. And then it became pinkish, pink cheeks when she started warming up to the bridegroom. And then it become blood red. And now he's in th- at the point of saying, I want to crack open the pomegranate. I want to see the little pits, your emotions. And he did. But now she pours and presses it out. Her life has been opened up in the same way. The juice is red and sweet. She offers her emotions to him as a love drink, the same way he offers his blood to us as a love drink. You see, the most precious thing you can give Jesus is your burning, broken, hurting 
emotions. This brings God's grace, honor and inner. And that's why he now can use you to serve others, including your family members. In verse 3, she just reminds herself again, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. It's good to repeat that verse often during your walk with Jesus, often during the week, especially when you've been rejected. Just say, oh, it's okay. His left hand is under my head. It's working in secret for me and his right hand embraces me. I get quite a few uh, emails and whatsapps from people who are really in a tight place locked in with their family where they don't want to be they can't get out they can't go to work they can't go to people off to work and visit everywhere and just go home at night to just go and sleep there that's the way they operate because the situation at home is not always so nice they try to spend as little time at home as possible and now you can't then tell yourself his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me and now she's telling the daughters what he told them when he was busy with her when she was still in her winter sleep of intimacy she tells them daughters of Jerusalem I charge you do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases him she is teaching the daughters of Jerusalem how to minister to their friends. So there goes the third generation. She started, then the daughters, and now she's teaching the daughters how to do this. And she can teach because she remembers his embrace of chapter 2 verse 6. She feels the love and the protection of his mighty right arm. And she's felt it often more and more. And she knows his left hand is under her head. She cannot always see what he's doing. She's not even aware of all the attacks that he has kept her from. She just says thank you every day when she wakes up. She's now more certain than ever of his omnipresent protection. He's always there. Also in the form of warring and ministering angels, remember? That surrounds you. Also with Holy Spirit that's with you and in you also with his blood he's protecting you but here in the home of her family it's the place where she feels most vulnerable he will continue protecting you there as well from any attacks even from those who do not always understand see Psalm 16 verse 8 she says, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. The bride repeats this urgent warning of the bridegroom in chapter 2. She warns the daughters, now that they have also come to love and follow the bridegroom, not to wake up other younger daughters. They must just follow her example and stir their interest by their passion for him. You see, the more you get attacked in your home because of your passion for him, the more it says there's life there. Indifference is the thing to fear when there's just no reaction. But when you experience 
I come against you, it's because your passion is speaking louder than words. Verse 5, Holy Spirit asks, And who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Yes, another rhetorical question. He knows exactly who it is. But now he's teaching the daughters. He wants them to discover the revelation for themselves. He's actually asking, How is it possible that she is so beautiful, coming from the desert? All the hosts of heaven are watching her approach. She's radiant, lovely, and weak as she leans on her bridegroom. And my friends, this is the essence of the entire story of Song of Songs. The bride of Jesus is not beautified in a luxurious dressing room. She's beautified in the wilderness. And when she comes out of the wilderness, she is radiant, she is lovely, she is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, but she's also weak. And she leans on her beloved. Let's revisit Hosea 2 verse 14 to 20 where he made his ketubah, his marriage, his covenant vows to you. Hosea 2.14 Therefore behold, I will allure her, Israel, in brackets you put your own name there, and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her heart, and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Akar, tears and troubles to be for her a door of hope and expectation and she shall sing there and respond as in the days of her youth as at a time when she came up out of the land of Egypt and it shall be in that day says the Lord that you will call me Ishi my husband you shall no more call me Baal for I will take away the names of the Baals out of her mouth no foreign gods and they shall no more be mentioned or seriously remembered by their name. And in that day, oh, that glorious that day, will I make a covenant for Israel with the living creatures of the open country and with the birds of the heavens and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and abolish battle equipment and all conflict out of the land. And I will make you lie down safely. And I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will even betroth you to me in stability and in faithfulness. And you shall know, recognize, be acquainted with, appreciate and give heed to and cherish the Lord. Now this was written by Hosea for Israel. And you remember, Old Testament, God's wife is Israel. So let's look at the scripture and at Israel with the circumstances of now, a time such as this we are living in. The Lord is busy. He's saying, I will allure Israel. He will bring her into the wilderness. In Revelation, we know that is in Petra, in Jordan. And there he will speak tenderly to Israel, 
to all the Jews who did not become Messianic Jews, those who became Messianic will be caught up with the bride, but to the Orthodox who are still waiting for Messiah to come. He will pour out His grace and mercy upon them and they will suddenly understand Jesus was the Messiah and then they will flee to the wilderness in Petra and there He will speak tenderly to her heart as a nation. There He will give Israel a vineyard of intimacy and He will change the valley of Acre, trouble, tears, war. Israel's always been in war and He will open for her the door of hope and expectation. And Israel shall sing there. She's a singing nation. And she will respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she come out of the land of Egypt, when she was set free from slavery. So many secular Jews today says, I'm tired, we don't want to be the chosen nation anymore. It comes out lovely on that series, The Chosen, where Peter says, huh, that's how you treat us. Took us out of Egypt, where we were slaves, just to have all these wars against us, still fighting to get Jerusalem as our city. But we know things are speeding up. We're watching about the story about Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And in that day, says the Lord, you, Israel, will call me Ishi. The marriage covenant that he made with her will come into fulfillment. And Israel will have no more bales in their nation. They will not even be remembered. When you go to Israel, you see how many religions and churches and groups there are. And in verse 18, the peace reign had begun. Because in that day I will make a covenant for Israel with the creatures, the living creatures of the open country, the birds and the creeping things of the ground. We know in Romans 8, the whole of creation is waiting for that day. And he will abolish all war, bow and sword and battle equipment. There will be no more war or conflict. Israel has never had any rest from war since she became a national state in 1948. They always tell you, no, we're always at war. And then he will make Israel lie down safe. And he will betroth himself, Father God, to Israel forever. He did, and he will again. In righteousness, justice, steadfast love, stability. They haven't had stability. In faithfulness. And Israel shall know and recognize and cherish the Lord. And that's prophecy that must be fulfilled. When it's fulfilled, it becomes history. But you, beloved, are part of the New Testament. So the same prophetic word, he is speaking to you. And he said, I must read it to you as in past tense. Because after Song of Songs, he did do it. He said, I did allure you and put your name in there, Poppy. And I did bring you into the wilderness where we are now. And I am speaking tenderly to your heart. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw that Facebook clip about how many Jews are going on, on internet and starting to read up about Jesus. Some are waking up. It's there. And then verse 15, he says, And there, in the wilderness, beloved, I did 
give you your vineyard. I started intimacy with you. I'm changing your valley of acre, troubles and tears to be for you a door of hope and expectation. What is our hope? What is our expectation? The rapture, brothers and sisters. And meanwhile, she shall sing. Are you singing? Are you worshipping during this time? Do you start your day with worship? Do you respond as in the days of your youth when you had your first love? Is your first love being restored? Praise God for that. And he says, There in the wilderness where I betrothed myself to you, now you call me Ishi, my husband. Especially all the lonely women who's gone through a divorce. He's your husband. And he takes away the names of every bale out of your mouth. How many bales have we got in our country, every country? The bale of sport, the bale of exercise, so many things. I don't say these things are wrong. I just say, do you give him as much time as you give to all your other activities? Suddenly all those activities are taken away. So much more time to spend with him. He's a jealous God, as we will see in this chapter. And in that day, in the peace reign that's waiting for us, I will make a covenant and Israel will step into her role to lead the nations. And we see shadow pictures of that now. She's leading nations in terms of making water, medical things, everything to do with worldly things. She's not leading the nations in telling them Jesus is Messiah. That's what will happen then. And he said, When I betrothed you to me, beloved, I did it forever. It will not be over after the study of Song of Songs. It's up to you. I keep my vows. I've betrothed you to me in righteousness until the day I come for you. In justice, in my steadfast love, it will never cease. And in mercy, I will keep you in stability when everything around you is shaking and unsure. Our stability is in Christ. I'll be faithful to you. And you, my love, you must know me, recognize me, be acquainted with me, appreciate me, give heed to me, and cherish me. He longs to be cherished by you. This is what happened. She did experience different seasons in the wilderness, seasons of drought and winter, of testing, suffering, searching, and silence. And we went through that with her, chapter by chapter. Yet she did not become discouraged. She returned triumphant, just like Jesus after his 40 days of testing in the desert. Our hope is strongly set on Pentecost it will be more than 40 days but we know the final victory is ours because the battle is always the Lord's the victory is ours as we see in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15 where he said hearken all Judah all inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat the Lord says this to you 
put your name in there in the place of King Jehoshaphat. The Lord says this to you. Be not afraid or dismayed at this great multitude. What great multitude? The numbers of the coronavirus coming up, going down. The numbers of the new world order. Do not be afraid. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now I know, we feel, oh, we've got to do something. It can't carry on like this. But the Lord says, the battle is not yours. The victory is yours. So in your name, Jesus, tonight we thank you that the victory will be ours, although we can't see any sense of what's going on. It's getting darker and darker and more complicated by worldly wisdom, which is stupidity. And we groan and moan against each other. But in the end, in the end, the battle is yours, Lord. The victory will be ours. So we lean heavily on our bridegroom, just as she does, fully dependent on him. Tonight we want to say, Lord, we are your bride, but we lean on you heavily. We are fully dependent on you. Jeremiah 9:23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise and skillful person glory and boast in his wisdom and skill. And let not the mighty and powerful person glory and boast in his strength and power. And let not the person who is rich in physical gratification and earthly wealth glory and boast in his temporal satisfactions and earthly riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me personally and practically, directly discerning and recognizing my character, that I am the Lord who practices loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, loving kindness, judgment and righteousness, in these things I delight, says the Lord. Lord, and we can so identify with this scripture because we see the worldly wisdom. We see how they boast in their new discoveries and we see the darkness increasing in this wisdom. And we see the mighty and the powerful, how they glory and boast because they are getting more mighty and more powerful and they are boasting in their strengths and their powers and authorities. And we see how the rich separates themselves in physical gratification, forgetting about people who not even have food to eat. And they glory in their positions and in their earthly wealth. But your word says it's all temporary. Temporal satisfaction and earthly riches. Tonight, Father God, we want to say to you, we glory in this. We glory in that you made us understand you and taught us how to know you personally, practically, directly discerning and recognizing your character through your word, through the study of Song of Songs. And we know you speaking the truth, Lord, when you say, you practice loving kindness, judgment and righteousness on the earth. For you delight in this. 
and we delight in it too, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 31, you say, For God selected, deliberately chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame, and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. And God also selected and deliberately chose what in the world is low-born and insignificant, branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, that ye might depose and bring to nothing the things that are, so that no mortal man should have pretense for glorying and boast in the presence of God. But it's from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation that was previously hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness, and thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God and our consecration, how you make us pure and holy, and our redemption, how you provided our ransom from eternal penalty for sin, so then as it is written, let him who boasts and proudly rejoices in glory, boast and proudly rejoice and glory in the Lord. And we understand, Lord, in the eyes of the world, those who choose you are seen as foolish. So you took those who look foolish to the world, which is us, and you will shame the wise. And you will call us whom the world calls weak. And we are weak. We lean on you. But you're going to use us to put the strong to shame. And you deliberately chose us who are low-born, who were outcasts, who are insignificant, nobodies. The world also treats us with contempt more and more. But you will depose and bring to nothing the things that are, the people that are, the positions that are. Because you say in your word, no mortal man should have any pretense for glorying and boasting in the presence of God. And we are living and walking in your presence, God. Thank you. And it's from you that we have our life in Christ Jesus. So when they boast against us, they're boasting against you. Jesus is our wisdom from God. Holy Spirit revealed to us, gave, given us knowledge of your divine plan of salvation. We understand you make us righteous. We understand you consecrating us. You are making us pure and holy. And you paid the price for our redemption from sin. And we glory and we boast in our Lord. Who can equal that? No one. You alone, Lord, are our source of strength. You're our life, our peace, and our joy. And we rest content in your embrace with your left hand under our head and your right hand that embraces us. Lord, we love you like John loved you. We want to lay our head on your breast. 
we were in the desert to be prepared for the coming season of blessing. And we know your aim all the while was that we will not desert you with a spirit of independence when you start to increase your blessings over our lives and ministries. Your aim is that we will not desert you with the spirit of independence once the lockdown is lifted and we get busy with our own lives again and we forget to lean upon you. Save us from a spirit of independence from you, Lord. Where the whole world is working towards this goal, we want to lean all the more heavily upon you. We want to lean on you for five reasons, Lord. For our salvation and our process of working it out. We've given our hearts to you, Lord, but your word says we must also work out our own salvation. That means grow in intimacy and in maturity. We lean on you, Lord, for victory over the enemy and over the flesh, our own flesh. We lean on you, Lord, for our healing, our restoration and our deliverance, which will always be there up until the day you come for us. We lean on you, Lord, for our callings and the direction our lives have to take in these days. We lean on you, Lord, for your provision in every area of our life, for we know you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We are feeling this physically, Lord. There's people who haven't got food to eat, and we are prohibited from giving food packages by the wisdom of the world. But we know, Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. You can bring manna from heaven. You can feed people like you fed Elijah at the river through the birds who brought him food. And when we lean on you like this, you say, we are so beautiful. This emphasizes our love to you. And you rejoice, Father God, because the love that you poured out in our hearts for your Son is beginning to show. The Holy Spirit's question has been answered. The daughters of Jerusalem have observed the events and they are wondering over the answer of his rhetorical question. So the bridegroom continues where the Holy Spirit left off. He reminds the bride and the daughters how and where everything started. He's beginning to draw them to. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3. He's teaching them. If one loves God truly, with affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and a grateful recognition of his blessings, he is known by God. He's recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love and he is owned by him. Beloved, afterwards, you take the scripture, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3, you write it out, and you make it personal. You write your name therein. I'm going to use my name, you are going to use your name. You put it in your own words, like this. Because I, Poppy, 
truly love God. And I have an affectionate reverence and a prompt obedience and a grateful recognition of His blessings upon my life. I, Poppy, am known by God. And He has recognized me as worthy of His intimacy and love. And I, Poppy, am owned by Him. So then we can say, Beware, Satan. I'm owned by Him. I'm recognized by Him. Only because I truly love Him with affectionate reverence, a prompt obedience, and I'm grateful for all His blessings upon my life. That's all He asks of you. And then He says, I know you. And I recognize you, my daughter, my son. I recognize you as worthy of my intimacy and my love. And I own you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What do we see? All through Song of Songs, we saw the Lord is the one who takes the initiative in any phase of our spiritual growth. Also during this time of the lockdown, He is the one who took the initiative to tell us to do Song of Songs on podcast. And I just want to testify here. I've done this book so many times. I've done so many camps. I can't count, praise God. And I thought I know Song of Songs. Maybe I got proud. I felt I could speak from any chapter, any time, any place, anywhere. I'm speaking of Afrikaans now. So the English was a challenge to me. And this was the first time after I've written this book in 2007 that I had to go back to the book and check every scripture in this book. Because on a camp on a weekend, there's no time to do all of that. I always tell the people this is just a skeleton of the depth of Song of Songs. But I want to testify. I'm overwhelmed by the depth of this book and how he speaks in scriptures and puts them together. And it's like he's sitting there with you as with me putting this scripture with that one and that one with that one and it becomes a conversation. Chapter 8 apart from the text which is the word has 50 scriptures. So beloved think about it at the end of chapter 8. I know most chapters are about 25 to 30 scriptures. Another one was 40 scriptures and chapter 8 has got 50 extra scriptures. Do you realize you are being saturated in the word? He's washing you with his word. He's filling you with his word. He's maturing you in his word. And he still comes, as we read in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and listens to and heeds my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he will eat with me. 
and he who overcomes, who is victorious, I will grant him to sit beside me on my throne, as I myself overcame and was victorious and sat down beside my father on his throne. Our doors are locked. We are locked in. Jesus can burst in if he wants to, but he'll never do that. He's knocking at your door, the door of your home, the door of your heart. He wants you to hear his voice. That's what we again studied in Song of Songs. And we opened the doors of our hearts. And he came in. And he eats with us. And we with him as we eat his word. And if we want to overcome this season that we are in, where our thoughts are mulling over all these things that we see and we hear and we read, and you just sort of make peace with the one shocking news, then the next comes. We will overcome. Revelation 12. By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of our testimony, it must get stronger, not weaker. We must not be afraid or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By laying down our lives, if we have to. We have somewhere got to draw a line in the sand and said, This is how far as I will go with compromising. I will not deny my Lord. I will not take those things that they say I have to do. I will do as Paul and the others said, when it comes to obeying the law, I'll obey. But when it comes to going over the word of God, I cannot do it. That's where we are. That's how we overcome. By laying down our lives. We know the other two. By being thrown in prison if I have to. And take a stand. So others can be freed. The Lord says. I will grant you. Who were willing to die for me. Who were willing to go to prison for me. I will grant you to sit beside me on my throne. As I myself overcame and was victorious over Satan. And I now sit down beside my father on his throne. That's the place reserved for you, beloved. Verse 6 is telling her the last thing that she has to do. He says, set me as a seal upon your heart and as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. He invites you tonight to take his seal on your heart and on your arm. In chapter 1, he taught you to ask for his kisses. We do that now. In chapter 4, he hemmed her in as his own special garden and fountain and he pruned her. And we understand that now. And then he told her to call for the winds to come and blow upon her. The cold wind of deliverance and the warm wind 
of healing. He's done it, he's doing it, and he will do it. Now he asks you, my beloved bride, please seal yourself with me. The world is wanting to seal you. But I've sealed you from the beginning with my Holy Spirit. But now there's a special seal that you must do. I can't do that. You must do it. Set me as a seal of approval on your heart. Not the approval or the consent of a government or an earthly king. That's worldly seals. I'm talking about the supernatural seal of the heavenly king given by the Holy Spirit. This is the seal. God himself lights the flame of your passionate love for your bridegroom. That's how you seal yourself with me. To love the bridegroom is an ongoing process, but the seal is a one-time event. Every new believer is marked belonging to God by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13 In him you also have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and you've believed and endured to and relied on him. You were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. That is there already. But just as the governments and the new world order wants to seal you, we need the extra seal for the times we are going in. And that's the seal upon your heart, which is the seal of Jesus. And the seal upon your arm, which is the Ten Commandments summed up in the First Commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your might and all your strength. And the Second Commandment, the seal on your arm, and love your neighbor as yourself. Every time you totally surrender yourself to him, you place his seal upon your heart, keeping yourself close to him. He says the seal is very strong, strong as death. No one can escape death. Love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. What he's saying is, you can't get away from death. No one escapes death. No one escapes his love. God loves you, beloved, and there's nothing you can do about it. He's a God of passionate emotion. He says he loves you with a jealous love. Deuteronomy 4.24 For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He desires that you will feel the same way about him. But we fall short, we know. And Jesus knows we are weak. So he sends his Holy Spirit to impart this fiery, jealous love to his bride. John 2, he warns us. John 2 verse 15 to 17 do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, cravings for sensual gratifications, that's now taken away from us, the lust of the eyes, the greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, the assurance in one's own resources, or in the stability of earthly things, we've lost all of that. These do not come from the Father. It comes from the world. But the world passes away and disappears, beloved. And with it all these forbidden cravings and passionate desires and the lust of it. But you, he, I, who does the will of God 
and who carries out his purpose in his life abides and remains forever. Our purpose is to love God and from that everything else will flow. The closer we come to the end of this age, beloved, the more evident this eager, fiery, jealousy love for Jesus will become. But the opposite is also true. The closer we come to the end of this age, the more evident the anger, hatred, jealous, murder, selfishness, the more clear this will become also. The bridegroom also compares this jealous love with a fire. The Hebrew version says the very flame of God. In Hebrew this word ends with El, the name of God, El. God is a fire. In Revelation we read, and the fire in his eyes is his love for his bride. And his longing that she will be right by his side. This fire in his eyes burns away everything that's not from him. While at the same time, he's expressing his love to you. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 28. He says, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall heed my ordinances and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. He's guarding our hearts. He's watching over it. He's telling us, guard your heart, for that's the wellspring of life. And he longs to share the secrets of his hearts, his dreams for us but also his pain and his sorrow, which we saw in chapter 4, though not all at once. God is love, but he can also become deeply sorrowful and heartbroken, and that is because he can love so deeply. Are you changing like this, beloved? Can you love intensely, openly, fearlessly? But do you also experience in your spirit there's a sorrowfulness and a heartbrokenness that you just want to cry and cry and you don't know what's going on with you? You're becoming like Jesus. You feel so deeply sorrowful, heartbroken about a broken world and lost souls because you can love so deeply. The love of the Father has been poured out in your heart for a lost world. He's given us his help to feel what he feels. Romans 5 verse 5. We could never reach this on our own. We are too evil. Sometimes the manifestation of his presence can also be experienced as a rush of warm or like an electrical shock coursing through your body, fading away until the next wave hits you and you start to cry. For this is the fire of God upon you. This fire penetrates and purifies and sanctifies you. It consumes everything that's not of him. More and more the bride of God will feel this fire upon her. He's not cross with you. He's not judging you. 
He penetrates you. He purifies you. And He sanctifies you. And then He says, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Water can quench fire, but this water speaks of problems or obstacles that can hinder us from staying in the love of God. He says, nothing you do can quench my love for you. No sin that you commit can quench my love for you. So please, don't let your problems or the things that's bugging you quench your love for me. What he is saying is, if we start resenting our situations, the intensity of our circumstances, or the duration of our lockdown time, or the whole planning of the new world order, if we start resenting these things, it can kill and quench our love for God. We can get so absorbed by this that our love for God starts to weaken. Act in the opposite way when you get the next shocking news report. Get up, praise God, then fall on your knees, bow down and kiss the sun. I feel I need to carry on. I twice wanted to stop, but he keeps telling me, carry on, so I'm carrying on. Social persecution we know. It can also quench the flame of love, especially if we pay attention to the accusations of the enemy. Our bridegroom desires that we will have an unwavering trust in him. In spite if we have sickness or failure or disappointments or we are being betrayed, even by our own governments, the metaphors of fire, water, death and grace are the strongest nature's elements. And he desires that the bride's love will exceed these in power. That our love will become so powerful, more powerful than the power of fire, the power of water, the power of death, and the power of the grave. He knows it's hard. And that's why Holy Spirit will constantly pour love into our hearts to carry on. The persecuted church in closed countries is familiar with a different kind of flood coming against them. They know physical persecution. Wurmbrand describes this persecution and its effects on the believers in his book on Song of Songs called The Sweetest Song. And according to him, the bride is most beautiful when she chooses the road of suffering and persecution. For Jesus' sake. We, the Western Church, we're not familiar with this. Neither are we prepared for this. But I believe our bridegroom is preparing us. The Word of God warns us that the enemy will come against the church of the end times like a flood. It's happening. The church has to be warned that a time of sifting and shaking is coming. It is here. 
Why? Because she strayed from the original purity of the gospel. My friends, persecution will bring purification. There's no other way. Persecution will bring purification. Many will count the cost and walk away. Like Jesus said, when I return, will I still find faith on earth? And some will lose their lives for his sake. But in the end, the purified church will arise in glory. And the bride is the church where every man, woman and child has given their lives to the spreading of the good news of the gospel. So we must get to the point, beloved, that we must welcome suffering if God can be glorified by it. And then we will arise and we will stand firm in the midst of persecution. How will we stand? Weak? Shivering? From fear? No, his word says we will arise and we will stand firm and not be moved in the midst of persecution. We will be radiant and triumphant for his glory. Amen for tonight. Let us close with the statements of the blood. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. In Christ I am free from every curse and blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labor shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and I shall be blessed when I go out. The Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. They will come at me from one direction but will flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my bones and on everything I put my hand to and the Lord my God will bless me in the land he is giving me. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. And then all the people on the earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord and they will fear me. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on my land in season and to bless all the work of my hands. So I will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make me the head, not the tail, and I will always be at the top, never at the bottom. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. The blood of Jesus has reconciled me to and granted me peace with God the Father, all pre pre people and all creation. The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness of all my sins. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation. So all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous as though I have never sinned. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me. So I become belonging to my Lord, dedicated to him, set apart for his ministry. 
The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I may serve the living God. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus gives me victory over Satan and all his principalities. The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you.